Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists, the podcast that tells you everything you need to know about working for yourself. I'm Emma Wilkinson, a freelance journalist specialising in health and medicine. And I'm Lily Cantor, a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. So this week, the topic of the podcast is fighting for fair pay. Yeah, so we're really going to get stuck into things like stagnant rates, the awful practice that's payment on publication, being expected to work for free, and some of the ridiculous hoops we're expected to jump through just to get what we're owed. Yeah, so when it comes to pay for freelance journalists, the balance of power is often not in our favour, but there are things that we can do to protect our rights. Um, and as we will hear, campaign for better treatment. So we've got two excellent guests this week who are going to help us unpick all this and teach us what we can do to fight for fairer pay and better payment systems. Um, but first, as we do every episode, Lily and I are going to share our top tips. Uh, Lily, you go first this week. What would be your one bit of advice on this? So I think the one tip that I like to give this week is about negotiation and really to think about the rates that you're offered as very much a starting point of a conversation, particularly if you're selling an individual story and particularly if it's to a sort of large mainstream organisation, the rate that they offer you very much is normally kind of where they would, what they'd like to kind of get away with paying you in all honesty. Um, but it doesn't mean there isn't room for negotiation. So I would always say, try and negotiate upwards with any rate and just bear in mind how quickly you're going to have to turn a piece around. Are you providing photographs? Is it exclusive content that nobody else has got? Kind of what added value are you bringing to that particular story and and kind of using that as evidence to enable you to, to get off to good negotiations? What about you, Emma? Um, yeah, so mine um, is to think about, because we get asked the question all the time about what's a fair rate, how to kind of not undervalue, overvalue yourself. Um, and rates vary massively. And I, uh, there's, you know, lots of different rates, word rates, day rates for the work that I do. So I try and think about it in terms of how long it will take you to do something. So if a piece of work requires multiple interviews, lots of investigation, specialist knowledge, then it will take you longer than say kind of a quick opinion piece um, that you're just writing in the first person. You need to take that into account um, when deciding if a fee that you've been offered is worth your time. So I do some regular work that doesn't pay massively well, but I enjoy it and it doesn't take a huge amount of time. So when you look at it by the word, um, there's other work that I do that's a better rate. But when you look at it by the hour, it's actually quite a decent fee. Um, On the flip side of that, I've done a few investigations where I've been paid by the day rather than the word because the time it has taken to do the piece is not reflected in the length of the final piece. Um, We do say this quite often, but it's all part of thinking of yourself like a business, working out how much you need to earn a day or week to pay your bills, overheads, taking into account things like, you know, you don't get sick pay or holiday pay. Um, So... Yeah, obviously there's a variety of rates within kind of the realms of what's reasonable, um, but it's just about considering how much time it's going to take you to do something. I don't know if you do that, Lily. Yeah, I do. And it's it's not always just time as well. It's kind of effort because there might be some work that in some ways you don't have to 
kind of think so much to do it. It's kind of easier to do, it comes quite quickly. Um, but the kind of, I guess, the, the sort of mental capacity is, is much easier than other things. So I sometimes look at it like that as well, is kind of how, how much brain power is this going to take for something that's going to, you know, be quite draining and therefore I can't spend, you know, huge amounts of times on it all at once. Or is it something quite rapid that I can um, kind of not think about so much? So, yeah, definitely. I think time and effort, <coughs> excuse me, um, is kind of two things to really take into consideration. Okay, I'm going to introduce our guests now. So first we have Anna Pedreiredo. Hi, Anna. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Great to have you on the show. Just a little bit about Anna then. She's a journalist, podcaster and campaigner who first started freelancing three years ago when she was made redundant. In her newsletter, The Professional Freelancer, she started writing about the experience of losing her job, but it's since become a must-to-read on the business side of freelancing. And she's just announced her book deal to write about working for yourself. Anna launched the hashtag Fair Pay for Freelancers campaign in 2019. The campaign calls upon the media to pay its freelancers fairer, better and faster. She also co-hosts the, the, sorry, she also co-hosts the Is This Working podcast. Okay, I, I, Anna, I think you really are the exact right person we need on this podcast reading that bio. And um, we also have Chris Wheel. Hi, Chris. Hello. Um, Chris uh, is an award-winning um, freelance journalist who specialised in business and finance, editing several magazines and websites. He's been an active member of the National Union of Journalists for more than 30 years and chairs the union's charity NUJ Extra. He's a stickler for getting paid on time and in full, and he once took the Guardian to the small claims courts and won, which I'm going to ask him about very shortly. Anna, we're just going to start off with you first. We'll talk about Fair Pay for Freelancers campaign in a bit. But first, can I ask you, <clears throat> sorry, my voice today is <clears throat> all over the place. Um, I'm going to ask you about your top tip. Um, so what can a freelance journalist do to ensure they're receiving a fair rate for their work? So this tip, um, it might not seem as though it has an immediate effect, but I think it's one of the most important ones. And it's to get comfortable talking about money and particularly find people who you can talk about rates with very openly. Those might be fellow freelancers who you already know, maybe they're former colleagues or people in your direct network. They might be people that you've met through various online communities because there are plenty of them. Um, they might be people that you've met through your um, and you through being in the NUJ. Whoever these people are, get really comfortable talking about money in safe spaces because as a freelance journalist or as any freelancer, you have to talk about money on more or less a daily basis. And when you get comfortable talking about it, then when you do have to go into those harder conversations, like asking for more money, asking for where, for your late payment, all of those things, as, as that kind of intensity of the conversation escalates, you have that very solid foundation. Um, you know, no one likes talking about money. I know I do it almost now professionally, but I still don't, I still don't enjoy negotiating. I still don't like having to ask where my money is, um, but I am comfortable doing it. And 
I feel able to do it. Um, but behind the scenes, I'm constantly talking about money with um, various groups of other female freelancers and um, in online groups and all these kinds of things. So get comfortable talking about money so that when you actually really need to do it, you have the you have that confidence. Yes, I was going to say it just comes back to confidence and that reassurance, I suppose, that what you're doing and what you're asking for is reasonable and what others would be doing in your shoes. Exactly, exactly. Um, Chris, what about you? What would your key bit of advice be? Um, for um, well, I try and get the other person to make the first offer, basically. When someone says, how much do you get paid? You know, how much do you want to do this? Um, if you can get them to make the offer first, because... Um, uh, I think it was described as the hangman shake. The hangman used to uh, shake the hands of the person who was about to hang to try and work out how much weight and ballast you needed to keep the body sort of hung perfectly. And I think you have to try and work out. Because if you say to somebody, well, that's going to cost, you know, a thousand pounds, and they they simply walk away and go, well, you're just not in that league. You've, you've got your price too high. And if they, if they go, yeah, brilliant, you've got your price too low. What you really want them to do is go, oh, that's, um, you know that's a bit too much but um, you know could you knock it down a bit and then um, then I always say well yeah sure I was going to speak to these 10 people which of them would you like me not to speak to um, to get the price down and uh, you know they always go no 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 I want you to speak to them all I just want you to do it well I said no I, I don't mind do you want me to not speak to them or not speak to the government or not get this official statistic which one do you not want me to do for that price but, you know, it, it, it's about having that confidence. But if you can get them to offer you a deal first, you can go, that's a bit low. And you're, you're on the, you know, you, you've got the upper hand at that point. It's a really good point. I hate that when someone comes in and says, what's your rate? And kind of starts it with you being expected to say, I really hate that because just the, even I've had a kind of, had experience where I've gone in with something that I think is really high and then they've accepted it straight away and you think hmm could have actually gone higher with that um, the, the, the yeah. worst thing is I mean I've got a project at the moment where I've got I've been given a team of freelancers who have already negotiated their rates and their rates are all different so I've I've got commission people on very different rates to do the same work and um, it's interesting because I, I suppose I I suspected there might be even like a gender bias in it, but there isn't. It's just, it's people's confidence and it's not necessarily, you know, there are some very confident women who've negotiated good rates and there are some less confident men who have negotiated lower rates. It, it's, it's not even something that's kind of really obvious. It, it, it is to do with confidence and experience. It's not even to do with experience of the journalist because some of the people on the lower, lower rates are incredibly experienced journalists with, um, you know, awards, awards to their name and and they're good at what they're doing so it's, it's a it's a really interesting phenomenon that we need to encourage everybody to 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 do as Anna said talk to everybody else first so you find out what on earth everybody else is because if it's the, there's nothing worse than finding out afterwards you're being paid less you want to find out beforehand so that you're not yeah yeah definitely and Anna I think this is a good point perhaps to bring you in to talk a bit more about the Fair Pay for Freelancers campaign. So can you tell me a bit more about kind of how that started and, and what you're trying to achieve with that? Yeah, sure. So pretty much immediately after I went freelance in 2017, I realized that getting paid was going to be my biggest challenge. So I first, I mean, I, I already knew about payment on publication, which is when uh, 
publication pays you when the piece comes out or in some cases only even starts processing your invoice once the piece is published. Um, I did already know that because prior to working as a freelancer, I was in-house. So I did, I did know about this phenomenon. Um, but I really felt the impact of that really it's a it's a really ridiculous payment system to be quite frank because it just makes it so hard for freelancers to plan their cash flow and we know that cash flow is the biggest killer of small businesses the federation of small business has done a lot of research around this it is the number one thing that puts businesses out of business it's their cash flow and when you don't know when something's going to when your cash is going to be coming in you can't plan accordingly and the problem with payment on publication is that it's a moving target because media companies they you know news news changes and so a piece gets pushed and it's so common for freelancers to file a piece and be told that it's going to be published on x day only for it to get moved three or four times um so there was already that and then also i started encountering lots of problems with ev every company i work for has a different payment system and they ask for what seems like increasingly more ridiculous requests of my information in order for me to get paid um, and their payment systems feel very antiquated and i find myself i there's a, a few companies i work for um, I do regular work for and every time I do a commission I have to submit the same information and I just don't understand why they can't keep this information somewhere on file um, so all of these things were kind of happening and I was really struggling to get paid and um, on top of that I learned about the piece of legislation that entitles all freelancers not just journalists anyone who works for themselves to a late payment fee if an invoice becomes late and I, I would ask for my late payment fee, but all that would happen is it would expedite the, pay, the processing of my invoice. And I've, I, I have tried to claim for a lot of late payment fees in the three years that I've worked for myself and never have I been paid one. Um, and this is a piece of legislation. This isn't something that I've made up that I sort of would like to happen. It is a piece of legislation that companies are not uh, respecting and I, as um, as was mentioned earlier the problem is that there is a massive power imbalance um, so all of this was in the kind of back of my mind and then at the beginning of 2019 the pool which was a um, women's interest website uh, went uh, shut down um, and went into administration um, and lots of freelancers or pretty much all of their freelancers were left with unpaid invoices and also staff members as well were also um, left with unpaid salaries as well but it particularly hit the freelancers really hard because the website mainly relied on freelancers um, in some cases it was in the tens of thousands of pounds and what that made me realize is when you are a freelancer and your invoice becomes late you're essentially acting as a creditor to to these media companies and it's really not that unlikely that they will go under um we've seen so many organizations shut down during covid but also pre-covid this you know the the state of the media industry has been in a quite a bad way long before this pandemic and publications have been shutting down long before the pandemic um and so seeing what happened at the pool and by the way i'd never written for the pool i didn't have anything to do with the pool i just was someone in the industry looking on at this in horror it was the um kind of final straw for me and so i decided to write an open letter um calling on the media industry to pay its freelancers fairer better and faster and the three specific asks in that letter 
are an end to payment on publication, a respect of late payment fees, and an update to antiquated payment systems. Um, and so I just put that, I basically put that in a Google document and tweeted it out. Um, and it had a huge response, and I think it's been signed now by over a thousand journalists. Um, and it got picked up in a few places and written about. Um, and the biggest impact, I mean, my kind of hope with it was um, to A, start a conversation and bring awareness to this issue, to just try to pull as many eyes onto this as, pro as possible. And then, I mean, the big aim with the campaign is to, um, in the first instance, I would love to see an end to payment on publication. Um, and also for the all, your, all of the asks to be met. Um, but the kind of first wave I hope that the campaign will bring is kind of at least bring awareness and a change in the conversation, which I do feel is happening. Um, and it has been supported by a number of organizations and a number of key figures in journalism. And um, I think also what's happening is I think, and I, I do think that a big part of this is a result of the fact that many of us freelancers, particularly people kind of who've come to freelancing around about the time that I have or coming into freelancing now, it's been as a result of redundancy. And um, there is a much more collegiate feel amongst freelancers at the moment. Um, I always say that your fellow freelancer is not your competition, they're your colleague. And it does feel much more collegiate. There is a, there is a, um, atmosphere of sharing and um, being transparent with each other and that all of that is kind of coming together and it's helping raise these issues and it's helping bring them bring them to light basically um, so yeah that's the campaign and then also um, a kind of offshoot of that campaign um, last month I also started something called the freelancer pay gap project um, because there is um, another big issue when I mean there are so there are so many issues when it comes to pay and freelancers but another big issue freelancers face is pay disparity um, there isn't we know that there we know that there is a, there is a pay gap um, a gender pay gap in journalism and we do know that freelancers typically face a larger gender pay gap than their employed counterparts but the data is very lacking and we also have no data on the ethnicity pay gap. So the pay gap, freelancer pay gap project, um, it's a tracker that is gathering anonymous data about freelance rates and the, and the publications that paid them, but also data around age, ethnicity, gender, years of experience and location to try to start getting a picture of where are the pay disparities in um, in journalism and, and within the kind of freelance community as well? Um, and that project has a kind of twofold um, impact because on the one hand, um, there is that data right there and it's all open and freelancers can see what other people are getting paid from places like The Guardian, The Independent, Vice, et cetera. But also it's it's also um, pulling in that those other data points so the um, ethnicity and the gender um, and kind of so the longer term aim with that is to take all of that data and analyze it and have a look at where these pay inequalities are um, and all to kind of just try to sort of campaign for um, fair and equal pay for freelancers basically yeah i mean i think you transparency is really the key isn't it because Unless, I mean, Lily and I have had conversations where we've done um, a similar bit of work and got paid differently for it by quite 
a large amount of money for for reasons that we can't understand so it is about um kind of i guess just being honest and open and you know making sure that media organizations can't get away with just pulling numbers out of thin air um chris i wanted to ask you um if we're talking about kind of getting paid on time and in full um, and this is something that you you kind of describe yourself as being a stickler for and you ended up taking the guardian to a small claims court perhaps you could tell us how that came about um, and you won in that case so share yeah, with us sure. your... so um i did quite a lot of stuff for the guardian mainly for the society section where i had no problems at all uh, i did one piece for um i think it was a technology section and um I got confirmation that everything was fine. The piece ran. I had invoiced for, this is a long time ago, I'd invoiced for something like 200 pounds plus VAT because uh, I'm VAT registered. So that was in those days, 15%, so 30 pounds of VAT. Um, and the Guardian, I think, paid me 175 pounds. Um, and, and I said, what, what, you know, what's that? The invoice was 200. They said, oh, it wasn't worth it. It's only worth 175 pounds. Uh, so you need to resubmit an invoice for £175 plus VAT. And uh, I said, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to go to court. So we went to the small claims court and they had to apologise and they had to pay me. You know, well done you for kind of keeping going with it and kind of pushing them that far. And um, I think it does show, doesn't it, the power imbalance in that relationship. If you don't feel able to, um, because that threat of, you're not going to work for us again. Um, sometimes isn't even as overt as that. You've kind of done that in your head. If mm. I don't play the game here, if I don't be polite, I don't do anything to rock the boat because I want to work for this publication. Um, it's interesting because I've, I've, uh, I, I, I understand that and I get that and I hear that an awful lot from people, but I, I have never experienced it. So um, Anna was mentioning the late payment legislation now i've been freelance for so long that when the late payment legislation first came in there was no fee there was only interest um and i i contacted the the boss of a magazine called insurance times which uh, i did a lot of freelancing for and i sent them a little spreadsheet which said here's all the invoice dates here's the amounts here's when i was paid each of these was paid late and um i said and so you you know I'm, not, I'm allowed to not claim this for six years, but in six years time, I could claim for all this. And they're about to change it and bring in a fee. And, and if these had a fee, the, the fee would have been this much money. So it's really important that before these, this new fee system comes in, you get your payment system sorted and you pay me on time. And uh, the, the managing director uh, phoned me up and said, would you come and be editor? And I went and became editor of Insurance Times. So my experience is, um if you respect yourself people start to respect you yeah i mean i always come back to um the nice office that i'm sat in now is my kind of seller conversion into my study and um when we had the builders come in to do that at the end of every week they sent us an invoice and then if i hadn't paid it within like an hour they'd be messaging me saying have you have you seen the invoice okay i just haven't looked at my phone um you know I had some flowers delivered a friend who's got her own flower business the other day and I paid her as soon as they were put on the doorstep through a PayPal. And um, sometimes the 
contrast between that and how I deal with other people that I'm kind of commissioning services from and how I get treated when, you know, like Anna was saying, the amount of information that you're expected to give and the different hoops. And, you know, Lily talked about working for one publication that have got, you know, different payment systems in different departments, but it's the same organization. I mean, from a minimum standpoint, Chris, what should we do when we're sending out an invoice in terms of the information that we have on it and how we set our terms? Um, I mean, I, I think that the, so the, the technical point of getting paid is a challenge because every company works in a different way and they work, um, they require different things. So some companies will issue you with a PO number. So if they issue you with a PO number, include it on your invoice. I mean, there are standard things to have on your invoice. So if you are, if you are VAT registered, obviously have your VAT number. If you're a company, have your company number and where your official company address is and, and all those sorts of things. Um, if you, I, I, I would say if you're self-employed sole trader, put your self-employed tax reference number on it because some people need it and other people don't. Um, so have, have certain information on your, on your invoicing anyway. I mean, these days, I, I, I would recommend using one of the available subscription accounting packages. I mean, there are lots of them. I use Xero. I've just moved to Xero this year um, from Sage, which I hated. But you know there are lots. There are lots of um, quick, quick time or whatever it is. There are lots of different ones. You can send invoices straight out from those systems, um, and lots of accounts departments like that. They because it comes in a for, It comes. It gives them several formats. So it gives them a PDF attachment. It gives them a link where they can download the data straight into their system. There are all sorts of things that they they like. Um, the other thing I'd say is is a few days after sending the invoices to check. Um, that it's been received and it's in the right um, format. And now that again, it depends because it might be, so a client I've got at the moment, I say to him, so I send the invoice to accounts, but um, I say to him in a weekly catch up, you know, did, did accounts send you my invoice to be signed off? And he says, oh yeah, I sign your invoice off first, you know, because he knows I'm gonna be breathing down his neck if he doesn't. But, you know, that is, you know, it's there because the worst thing you want is to say to somebody after 30 days, excuse me, you haven't paid me. And they go, oh, I haven't got your invoice. We've got, you know, no sign of it. So you need to, um, you need to sort of make sure that that they've got your invoice. It's in, it's in the right place. It's in the right order. There's no queries about it quite early on. And then what I, you know, once you get to know a client, you know, when they're going to pay it, you can leave this. But the, the next thing to do is to a week before it's due, if you haven't been paid, is just to send a message saying, just confirming this is due in seven days time. Um, you know, can you confirm it will be paid please? Just in case they've forgotten. Um, I mean, with the late payment, I've claimed it quite a lot um, and I'd never let anybody not pay it to me. So I, if I make the claim, I get the money. Um, I, you know, sometimes it, it I, I, I would, sort of contact them the first time and say, was this a mistake? Sometimes also you get paid 10 invoices in a row in, on time and then one one's late. Or that you get a phone call saying, oh, we've completely fouled up. We're going to pay you late on this one. Sorry. And you can go, okay, that's fine. I understand that. You know, we're in, we're, we all make mistakes. But it's when, it's, it's when people are just either haphazardly through laziness or incompetence or willfully, which is often the case, um, paying you late. Um, you need to you need to knock them back in order because 
a lot of the time these people are making choices between who to pay and who not to pay. Um, somebody's given them an offer that they can't refuse to, to do some very clever investing over, you know, on some international, you know, overnight exchange rates in Luxembourg or some tax haven somewhere. And they've decided to put all their company money on, on it um, rather than pay the bills because they can make more money out of it. And they make a choice at that point as to who they're going to pay. And they will pay the people that are banging on their door and they know are going to make the claim. It's not worth their while. So be that person. I mean, if we're all that person, that's the, the, the simple best thing is we're all that person. Yeah, I mean, that's the message, isn't it? We do talk about this in the book, in the chapter that Anna, Anna um, in Freelancing for Journalists, Anna um, wrote a little commentary for us where we're kind of saying, if we're all doing this and we all know our rights and we're all kind of approaching it the same, then it's harder for um, kind of companies to say no. I mean, some of it is, have we just got used to incompetence? I know when the pool closed, um, there you know, was a bit of shock, I guess, from people who didn't work in journalism that kind of columnists and people who'd wrote regular articles were being left owed thousands and thousands of pounds. Like, did you not see the red flags? And yet in journalism, people were kind of going, oh, this is always how it works. It was kind of normal for to not get paid. Um, have we all just got a bit too complacent, Anna, do you think? I think it's less about complacency and I think it's more about um, the limit, the kind of limiting beliefs that we have. And I think this all feeds into, um, it's a very, very acute problem in journalism. It is also in the other creative industries where you're taught to be grateful to, to do this work and to have to have this op these opportunities um and you know that's it, this is also where the free work problem comes in as well and so it's not it, it's those freelancers knew that their payments were late but they didn't want to rock the boat or to you know they probably did ask for the money and they kind of let it slide because there is this ingrained belief that is very limiting, um, which tells us that we should feel really, really grateful and that we should turn a blind eye to bad, bad practices that are happening because um, there are 10 other people standing outside the door dying for the opportunity that you have been <laughs> so graciously um, bestowed, has been so graciously bestowed upon you. Um, so I think that that's kind of where it comes from. Um, you know, a lot of the freelancers who came out to talk about their experiences at the pool, they said that they could see that there was a problem coming down the track but they felt quite helpless and powerless with what to do um, and confidence is one of those things that it's everyone knows that that's what they need but it, they really struggle to actually get it and I think a lot of people do struggle to have the confidence to stand up and and ask for what they are owed um, that being said I, I do my hope is that these things are changing because exactly to Chris's point that we all are in this together and that the more I stand up for my, myself the more I'm helping the person behind me as well um, and I, I love the expression rising tides lift all boats because that is really what what this is about um, and I think I'm a big believer in you know collective action and people people doing things for kind of the, the good of the, the rest of their um, industry and community. Um, but it's also very, very difficult. I mean, also when I worked in house and I saw things that I didn't like or didn't agree with and just, it, and, and 
was very powerless to do anything about it and i think there are a lot of journalists who just feel very disillusioned as well so it's a, it's there's a lot of um quite negative forces at play that are creating this whole mess of a situation and i and i think the reality is is that we can't look at the problems of late payment without also looking at just all of the broken parts of the media business model these all these all of these things interconnect um, it's not just this isn't kind of a rogue issue happening at the far corner of the journalism industry this is this is part of a much bigger problem um, because the industry has lots of really huge problems um, particularly around its business model um, and lots of other things as well so um, so yeah I think that that's kind of really what is at the core of that issue one thing I'm wondering, we kind of keep coming back to this idea of having the confidence um, to not well, to get paid in the first place and to get paid in a timely fashion. But also I wonder about kind of what people can do to feel confident enough to ask for more money, if particularly if they've got a regular gig and they, they feel like kind of due a pay rise or... Um, you know, their expertise is now at a certain level that they really should be getting more money. I mean, particularly a lot of our listeners are kind of starting out or maybe only been freelancing for a, a short time. I just wonder, Anna, what would your kind of advice be to them if they're kind of thinking about approaching a, a someone they work with regularly to, to ask for more money? How should they approach that? Um, I'm just going to pause because there's a really loud siren outside of my window. Sorry problem being right in London um I I think it also comes back to what I said at the very beginning which is around feeling comfortable talking about money and having people to talk about money with because you feel a lot more confident when you a when you have the knowledge that what you're asking for is not unreasonable so when you do know what the market rate is when you do know what other freelancers who are doing similar work and have similar levels of expertise as you are getting paid. Um, that gives you quite a lot of confidence to not doubt what, not doubt that the ask you are making is reasonable. And you can get that by, um, you know, learning about market rates, which you can learn through um, the NUJ has a free lot, has a page for freelance rates. Um, obviously my spreadsheet, the freelancer pay gap has that information. There's a, um, website called who pays writers there's a lot of information out there kind of publicly on the internet and then there are sort of the more behind the scenes groups and communities who you can ask about to sort of get that knowledge about the market rate um, and then again it's about asking so you know once you kind of feel like okay this is a fair thing that I'm asking for then also when you're talking to people you build the confidence um, with regards to how you do the asking and, you know, you can run through, this is what I want to say, or, you know, this is the email, can you have a look at the phrasing? And you just have that support system around you, because the real problem when you're freelancing is that you are working completely by yourself. You don't have, you don't have um, any kind of cushion, neither sort of financial, you don't have that institutional cushion around you, you don't have colleagues, all of that stuff. So you do have to really work on your own support network, and you really have to kind of have all of those things in place so that you have people that you can ask these things to. As I said, 
think of your fellow freelancers as your colleagues and not your competition. Um, and I think for, you know, speaking from personal experience, those, those things have been really, really key for me. Um, and then also learning what your rights actually are. So maybe this isn't necessarily quite so applicable to the sort of specific um, question you've asked around sort of entering a negotiation for regular work. But when you think about, um, if you're trying to have a money conversation about things like late payments or payment terms and those sorts of things, if you do spend a bit of time learning what your actual rights are and going and reading the legislation about the Late Payments Act, because it is, there are a couple of things about it that you kind of need to wrap your head around um, and sort of learn what, what rights do you have? What does your contract actually say? I know it's really boring, but you have to read every single contract that you sign um, because you will inadvertently sign something and then you'll try to claim your payment after 30 days only to realize that you've signed away a 60-day payment term. Um, you know, the NEJ is another great place where you can, um, it can be a support system and a kind of a legal support for you. There are other institutional bodies and memberships that you can join. Um, learn your rights so that again it gives you that confidence that when you're asking for something you 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 know that it's fair and reasonable um, when we ask for things without really kind of you know unless you are already a naturally very confident person you're you can't ask for the unreasonable um, so I think that's really really key and like I said I, I you know if I feel like a broken record at this point but you know have those people where you can talk about money uh, practice talking about money with yeah, and I think we've kind of mentioned on the podcast before, there are loads of different um, networks out there. Um, and I'm thinking specifically, there's a Facebook group called Campaign Won't Pay, which sort of particularly sort of campaigns and shares information around um, sort of the ways in which people are and aren't getting paid. Um, but we'll put a few other ones in our show notes as well. Um, but yeah, there's like, you know, there's Slack groups, Facebook group, WhatsApp groups, um, and more besides. And, and the more we're sort of sharing this information, the better, like you say, it's kind of key to, to know what your rights are. I was going to say as well, we'll put a link to late payment details in the show notes as well, because I think some people might not actually be aware of what, you know, what they're entitled to and what late payment actually needs. Absolutely. Um, before, we've already been talking for ages, but I, we really need to talk a little bit about payment on publication and how, um, as individuals, how we go about fighting back against that. I'm quite lucky that most of the regular, I tend to work for kind of medical journals, trade publications. I think the worst I've come across is payment on edit, and then they've taken ages to get it to that point but the editor has to sign it off before any payment can go through in which case I just become really annoying and keep asking them if they've done it yet um Chris what would you say um because it's often this thing isn't it if I don't accept payment on publication then I won't have any work because that's how everybody works what would what would you is there anything that we can do as individuals uh, yeah just say no I know it's a really uh, mundane and thing to say but I've never worked for anybody who tried to pay on publication, just refused to work for them. Uh, and people always turn around and say, oh yeah, well you can afford to do that. And, and I turn around and say, it's the other way around, I can afford to do that because I said no to people. I think what you have to do is you have to understand in, as you go through freelancing, you will work for people and uh, there'll come a point where you can't get that to, them to pay you either on time or the right amount of money or whatever it is, move on leave those to somebody else and move on 
to somebody that will pay you and pay you on time and respects you. Um, I think there are also things that you can use. You can use tricks to get your rate up. So I remember once I was doing a piece and uh, I couldn't get the rate up for quite a while. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll do a sort of questionnaire survey and produce you a big spreadsheet um, and, you know, for this feature and then put the rate to cover that. And they said, yeah, okay. And then I just invoiced for that rate from then on. So I kind of used an excuse to get the rate up once, but then I just invoiced for the higher rate from then on. Um, and I think you can, you can, you can do that. Um, I think you need to also have a relationship with whoever's commissioning you. So, um, so many freelancers I know don't go to industry events because no one's paying them to go there or don't, you know, I mean, events don't happen at the moment, but don't go to drinks. So if there was a, I would take my commissioning editor at the Guardian out for lunch. Um, and then the next time I rang up and said, let's go for lunch, he'd say, well, it's my turn. And he'd pay for me to have lunch. And um, it means you've got a chance to discuss things and, and also come up with ideas. But when you do ring up with an idea or ring up with a problem, they're prepared to talk to you because they know who you are. They've met, they've, you know, met you face to face. I think all those things are, are really important. But I do think you, you do have to walk away. I think it's a big problem freelancers have, and they generally have it because there's two things we do. We, we, we panic when we haven't got any work. And then we take too much work. So we're really, really busy and we haven't got time to look for any new clients and we're really probably making mistakes because we're so busy. And then because we were so busy and we didn't book any more work, we no, we've got no work again and we get into a panic about the fact that we've got no work. And I can see people nodding. I know it's radio or, or podcast, but I can see people nodding. So we've all done that. What we actually have to do is, is, is stop doing that and stop doing it about payment. So if you've walked away from a client because they're not paying you, you know, in my case, I'd jump on my motorbike and go for a ride, just clear the air, get some fresh air, go for a walk in the rain, take the dog out, do something. Don't worry about the fact that you haven't got any work or you've walked away from a client. Um, I mean, I was editor of AOL, or well, AOL website called Daily Finance, and they uh, were trying to, they were not paying us on time. And they, they pulled the contract down and said, it says 40 days. And I said, yeah, but the late payment legislation in the UK says 30 days unless you have a higher rate of compensation for being late. And you don't have a higher rate of compensation for being late. So the 30 days will be struck out. And um, they got their lawyer on the phone to say, well, I'm sorry, but that's the way it's going to be. And I just said, look, if you're getting your lawyer on the phone, you don't want me to work from you. Um, so it's a shame. But and I sent an email around to everybody saying it's been good working with you, but unfortunately, you're not going to get paid on time. So I can't work under those conditions. Um, so with immediate effect, I'm resigning. And I went for a walk around the park. Well, they rang up and said, well, no, you can't do that. And I said, well, tell your lawyer to ring me up and apologize. And the lawyer rang me up and apologized. And I went back to work and everybody got paid on time after that. Just don't, don't take it. That's what I'd say. Chris, you're inspiring me here. And also that description of freelancers was a little bit too spooky. I felt like... <laughs> Well, I've been doing it for a long time. I've been there. Uh, trust me, I've been there and I've been the person that's made the mistake because they were too busy and I've been the person that's been panicking because they didn't have any work. Um, and after sort of 20 years of it, you go, it just, it's cyclical. It comes round and round and round and you just get slightly better at dealing with it, you know, after the 20th time it happens. That's really interesting because today I was looking at... Um, some money i had a big load of money come through um from a regular client i've been doing work with and um it was also converted from a different currency so i was kind of working out how much i actually got paid 
for the number of days I did and I looked at it and thought this is not worth doing anymore it's just it's just the convert particularly because of the currency rate just it's just not worth it and I've been doing this for several months now and it's just kind of dawned on me that and again it was that panic it was that panic of all you know a number of publications have closed down that I've written for and I want to take on new work um I'll just do this for a certain period of time and then and then assess and I think it's when you you assess that you kind of have to think right is you know my time is money and, and is it worth doing because you can either earn the same amount of money for less time and have more time to yourself which is one of the great advantages of being freelance or you can work the same amount of time if that's how much time you want to work and earn more money so yeah it's a win-win either situation you know and you don't have to just suddenly walk away you can say right you made that decision i'm going to try and find some alternative work and then give them, you know give them a reasonable amount of i mean but there may also be somebody that you've met who who's newer or younger or, or just starting out who would love to take that contract off you and you can pass their name on i mean I've done a lot of that you know you pass somebody's name on because you can't do something and you know and journalism we go up and then we slide back down again and then we come back up again and then we slide back down you're going to meet these people either on the way up or on the way down at some point in the future and somebody you passed on a good bit of work to or if I did a favor for is likely to do one back to you in could be 10 years but someone will do you a favor Oh, it's so true, isn't it? And then that person who you helped out then moved to somewhere who you want to work for and it all kind of goes around. Let's let's try and end on a kind of positive note. Anna, you, you were um, gave evidence to a House of Lords Select Committee for their inquiry into the future of journalism recently, specifically around challenges for freelan freelancers. Um, I mean, did you feel like people are starting to listen to the issues that freelancers are shouting from the rooftops about i definitely think they are um i think the fact that um you know i had the opportunity to actually kind of speak at that sort of level about this issue um was really really encouraging um and i think we are i think we are seeing positive steps in the right direction i mean any kind of campaigning work any kind of lobbying um anything that involves change at an institutional policy level just takes time but I think we are seeing steps in the right direction um, I think also what's worth bearing in mind is that we are also at a point now where we're kind of reaching critical mass of the self-employed sector of the workforce and we're only going to see um, even more of a rise in self-employed in self-employment as a result of everything that's happened with the pandemic so as those you know the voices are getting louder and there are also now more of those voices and I just don't think that they can be shut down anymore um and um i am i am quite hopeful um you know from a kind of even at a sort of government level the small um the small business commissioner the office of the small business commission um has been doing some really good work in the on the late payment front um in the couple of years that it's been open um the fact that the um house of lords select committees are looking into these things um you're seeing it also at different different parts of the self-employed sector as well um, there's obviously big movements within the gig economy uh, workers and kind of um, fighting for their rights and um, you know the, the, the general conversation around all of this is kind of going in the right direction I think also part of that is the conversation around flexible working as well so I do think that we are seeing some positive 
change um so hopefully just keep it continues absolutely and i think um i mean thank you so much to anna and chris this has been one of our lengthy episodes it was absolutely fascinating i kind of just didn't want to stop that conversation um, and i think as we've said kind of part of the battle here is understanding your rights then applying them but also it is about using our collective voice to call out bad practice and say we're not standing for it there's kind of power in numbers um so yeah such such useful advice and i hope that's inspired some of our listeners to kind of stand up for themselves a bit more and know what's okay and what's not okay yeah loads of really useful resources mentioned there so like i say we'll put those in the show notes as usual also, just another call out to our listeners to say if there's any particular topic you want us to cover or if you've got any questions, then please do get in touch. You can email us at freelancingforjournalists at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at freelancing4. Um, you can also follow us individually. I'm at Emma Journo. And I'm at Lily Cantor. Um, and don't forget to join our Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community where you um, can come across lots of more tips and advice and ask help from seasoned, experienced freelancers if you need to. Yeah, and just a note to say that although we initially had a grant for Series 1, we're now making this podcast for free. So if you feel so inclined, you can buy us a virtual cuppa via our coffee page, which is on our pinned tweet. Um, and we're getting lots of new listeners all the time and um, don't forget to like rate and subscribe to the podcast because it helps people find us but actually the most useful thing you could do is leave us a review we've had lots of feedback from listeners who found particular episodes really helpful if you could leave us a review about that that would be fantastic yeah and next time we're going to be talking about freelancing and disability but for now goodbye bye